0: I reapplied uh, for monetization with YouTube, right? Okay. And they just responded. And this is what they say. Thank you for your interest in AdSense. That's who runs the monetization for YouTube is Google AdSense. After reviewing your application, our specialists have found that it does not meet our program criteria. Therefore, we are unable to accept you into our program. Here at AdSense, program policies are designed to ensure the effectiveness of our Google ads for our publishers as well as our advertisers. We review all publishers and we reserve the right to decline any application. If you are able to make changes to meet our program criteria, you may reapply for AdSense in the future. Please note that we may not be able to respond to inquiries regarding the specific reasons for our decision. Thank you for understanding. The Google AdSense team. Now, I, I you know, this is, this goes into saying that, you know, uh, there are so many of these convict channels, these quote unquote convict channels where these guys get out and they put bass in their voice and they talk tough and they, you know, they, they are all about this violence game and they put out these episodes about inmates being raped in prison and, and just every one of their episodes is just trash essentially, you know, it's just stigmatic trash. It's, it's the same as these shows like locked up and all of these other shows that just, you, you don't know, you know, anybody can get up and say anything that they want. You know what I mean? And it's all about just glorification of, of violence, you know, for likes and subscribes. And these people are making a boatload of money off of YouTube. You know what I mean? They have 25, 30, 40, 50, 100, of subscribers. Larry Lawton has over a million something subscribers, you know, and just to get up there and just say whatever. And as long as the people are entertained, they'll go along with it but my channel as you know education and information um unity love positivity i'm showing inmates that are coming home building organizations and 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 creating outreaches and becoming positive members of the community and i am being censored heavily for it you know heavily so it's I just wanted to make that, you know, because this is, this is the, this is the thing we're talking about the constitution and these are live events of what's going on against American citizens for, for just really essentially preaching love and unity.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, we need to, we need to, uh, we need to take into into account, you know, what is it that, 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 the that the media stations or the new or the TV stations, what what do they produce? They produce law and order. They produce, you know, uh, uh these these um these movies that, that are all about a, a serial killer and you know and going and finding him from the you know law enforcement police officers whatever right they're creating this this image this illusion or this this concept that that that, that crime exists that that there's that there's a this a uh, certain heroism within um within crime within you know going out and and catching the bad guy or or whatever so you know i think that it's it's all about but it goes back to that, to that saying that I said from Jim, from Jim Morrison, where he said that life is not as romantic or as exciting as it should be. So we say things that are false because it's better that images be created. It doesn't matter if those images aren't true so long as they're believed. You know, And we, we're, we're creating this, but we're creating this because we think that life needs to be more exciting. Why can't life just be caring and loving, lo- loving each other? Why, why is it that the news doesn't, doesn't talk about the good things that, that happen every day? They only talk about the bad things because that's what sells, you know, that, I mean, it goes back to like Rome, you know, and, and the gladiators and everything else. I mean, you know, history is simply repeating itself and, and we're creating these, these gladiator events, these, these, whatever, that we're taking the slaves and we're putting it into and watching them die and kill each other and, you know, and finding humor in, in that, and the that's excitement true. in it, you know, and, and then we're glorifying the ones that are creating the conflict, but, you know, conflict, conflict creates business. It creates business for a lot of companies, right? It creates money for a lot of different people. You know, war is all about money. You know, you get, you get Lockheed Martin and, and uh, um, you know, and some of these big uh, general uh, prime contractors that make a fortune off of war. They want war. They want conflict. Same thing here in America. You know, a lot of businesses are in the business of, of creating a response to conflicts. You know, national security, the whole program was based upon, you know, this, this fear of, 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 of terrorism. And, you know, the terrorism is, is the people. It's anybody that, that goes against the government. And that's why national security was code word for, for, for domestic terrorism, because we were protecting the government from the people. And it, it's the wrong concept. But, you know, that's what sells. But I think that if we, if we got away from that and we started talking about the good, because that's, that, that's one of the things that I like here is that, is that it's important to, as a patriot, because a patriot is one who loves and defends this country. So patriotism mm-hmm. is simply a dialogue between your fellow man and the larger world as a whole about not only what is good about your country, but what needs to be done better. We should be talking about the good that the country does. We should be telling everybody that that we have a great country, in theory, but not necessarily in practice. And and we should love our country. And I think that when we're not teaching civics in school, when we're not when we're not uh, you know allowing for uh, you know people people to come in and to be able to go through the Legal uh, um, naturalization process, um, they don't learn about what's good about America. You know, they're coming in with this other, this other belief. You know, so every single country has its own spirit, right? The Spirit of law. So That's, I, that
0: just, just to solidify that point, it, you know, it's it's Arnold Schwarzenegger made it made it perfectly clear when he said, "To hell with your freedom, take the vaccine." You know, and yeah. when you have when you have immigrants. That are saying that that shows you that they don't understand the value behind what freedom really is.
1: Right. You know, we we have an immigration process, not not so that you go through a process to become a citizen, not so that you sit in the, you know, in, in a program for years and we do it so that you can learn to love America. Because you have to understand America to love America, right? And we should all, all everybody here, should love America because this is our this is our land. This was given to us. Our freedoms were given to us. That is the greatest treasure known to mankind. Was what we what we had, what we were guaranteed, and that we've lost, and that we've 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 forgotten. We've forgotten because we haven't come to continually learn to love our country and to, and to maintain mm-hmm. that love. So every country has its own spirit, right? It's a, it's the substance of of that 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 relationship because society is just simply a relationship relationship between a whole bunch of different people but when those people come together they have a spirit and that spirit in in, here in america is truth and justice that was what we founded ourselves upon and we all feel it deep deep down inside right and so we have these certain communal values that 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 we have in place these these principles that we americans you know believe in and want to and want to think are true such as innocence doesn't suffer and 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 that you have a fair and reasonable process that's established and, and not arbitrary and and you know and that um you know, the guilty, you know, uh, uh, are always punished, but the innocent are not. I mean, these are principles that we have in, in theory, but not in practice. And um, so we, we have to understand that that when when we have chaos, when, when we have an arbitrary change to, um, to our belief system, you know, whatever we, whatever we believe in our spirit, that's when we feel that there's something wrong deep down inside. We, something inside of us says that, that what they're doing is wrong. I can't quite put my finger on it but I know it's wrong. That's simply the spirit of us, our spirit telling us that, that they're doing something contrary to truth and justice, contrary to our principles and beliefs. And that relationship that exists, that relationship comes into turmoil and chaos when we when we have that uh, occur across these different these different states and and so you know, we need to be uh, a union, we need to be united, we need to treat everyone equally because that will bring us back from this chaos that we're in today back into harmony because constitutionalism advances naturally as a result of suffrage, right? But voting is the result of the majority, not of an individual. So when an individual or individuals such as the Supreme Court comes in and changes our principles and our belief set, then it causes us to feel like there's something wrong. It causes conflict, and, and, and then we, we feel that, that there's an issue and we can't quite understand what it is. So changes to our principles must be done by the majority. Right. The relationship, the societal relationship that we have in place, it must be done by the majority so as to prevent this loss of harmony.
0: Before we get into, into self-incrimination, um, speaking on the votes real quick, how how do you think that our vote really, really matters, right? And the reason why I asked that, I, I've asked this you know, over time, and the reason why I asked this is because we just we just witnessed inawa in california over 2 million people sign a petition to oust that governor and yet he still sits in that seat they got the required signatures yet this man still sits in that seat that is a scary thing because again we are doing what we're supposed to do that was outlined for us to do in the event of a tyrannical government and we did that. We got the petition. We signed the signatures to oust the governor of California, yet he is still in office. So yeah. does the vote even matter?
1: No, no, it doesn't. And and it, it won't because for one, the people aren't informed enough. You know, we don't take the time to to actually learn, you know, what is right and what is wrong or, or what people are doing and not doing. It. You know, these promises are made by these politicians, and then they're never fulfilled. They make the promise over and over again. You know, we talk about, I'm going to reform the justice system. When has it been reformed? You know, mm. well, they make the promise, but they don't follow through. Right? The stats haven't well, we shown have to, no reform. We have to hold them accountable. And, and, you know, the thing is, is, is like Nancy Pelosi is a great example. You know, how is it that she's amassed $196 million over the course of her career? That doesn't
0: sound like a like a public servant to me you know what the liberals say the liberals say is because she was rich going in her and her she husband was, was in real estate they were in stocks they were already rich going in
1: okay well you know i mean the reality is 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 when you make one hundred ninety three thousand a year and you're full-time burdened with that job you, do you really have time to, to be doing all this other stuff i mean the, i'm not using nancy pelosi as, as as necessarily target i'm simply saying i'm it, with you, you. That these are these are wealthy individuals. These are multimillionaires. No one goes into the Senate and, and leaves there without having millions and millions of dollars. Because you have these lobbyists that are that are coming at you. You completely lose touch with society because you're you're nothing but wine and dine by these organizations that want you to, to to push their agenda, right? And so you know Washington D.C. is a whole different animal. And once you get there, you you lose touch with with the rest of society because it, it's 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 a different. It's a different relationship. You, know, you don't have contact with the normal common individual that's having the issues, but instead you have corporate lobbyists that are that are coming at you with money and entertainment and all these other things that tend to influence you in their thinking, to, to, to send you in their direction. Don't and,
0: you have yeah. more millionaires per capita in DC than anywhere else in America? Is, isn't that an per accurate capita. stat that I read somewhere? Per yeah, capita?
1: Yeah. I mean, when I lived there, if you didn't have three or four million dollars, you you weren't living in within the district. I mean, it was it was millions of dollars for even a, a one bedroom bungalow. I mean mm. it was it was astronomical. And so, you know, I was living almost all the way to West Virginia because that's the only place I could afford. Mm. It's extremely expensive. And yeah, you know,
0: um so, so just, moving there's
1: a go
0: ahead. There's I'm a sorry, lot of there's a
1: lot of advantages that, that exist within uh within Congress and within you know the lawmakers. So you know, one great example is is that these are the guys that are creating the laws. So if there's a law that's going to impact, you know, the sales of a product, then they sell their stock, right? Or if, or if they're creating a, a, a law or they're, they're pushing a law through, that's going to enhance a particular um, industry, they're going to invest in it. That's insider trading. You know, Martha Stewart went to prison for it. And yet these, these politicians do it every single day. But they're immune. You can't touch them because they're above it, right? No. I mean, these guys are heavily, heavily invested in the very acts and legislation that they put into place every single day. That's where they're getting their money, you know?
0: I mean- And, and, it, right? and at the end, they don't pay hardly any taxes, if any at all. You know what I mean? And like you say, all the perks and benefits that they get just throughout their daily life of, of being who they are. And then on top of that, we, the taxpayer- brunt the bill of everything that they do
1: yeah yeah and and, you know and, and then we don't hold them accountable for their inaction or their actions you know and we allow them to remain maintain this this argument of sovereignty of this of this immunity which is absolutely incorrect and you know the thing about it is is and i've mentioned this a few times and i'll just go over it one more time here right but there is no immunity within the united states you cannot have immunity Sovereign immunity or sovereign, sovereign uh, uh, sovereignty derives from the theory that the king can do no wrong, right? So it's the king that creates the laws, and as a result, he, he does it through just the, the just practice. Therefore, you cannot charge a king with a crime. You can't sue a king without his consent, right? He has to give consent in order to do it because he's the one that creates the law. So he, can, he can't violate the laws because he creates them. So here in America... We, the people, give the government the power to govern through the consent of the governed. We create the laws. Therefore, we are, in fact, the sovereign. We want our freedom. And with our freedom came our sovereignty. We each are individually the kings ourselves because we create the laws and we give them to government and say, government, administer these laws because this is our agreement. This is our relationship that we've established among our people. And here, we want you to do that, right? It doesn't, that that, that makes them below us. We are above them. And so, you know that that's like saying that the peasant is above the king to, to allow them to be sovereign, right? To allow them to be able to come in and do that. So when it says that mm-hmm. that the king can do no wrong, being the basis of sovereignty, here's the thing, right? Just like I said the, the last episode, the process of the of due process, the process of crime is you first bill, right? You bill for the crime through the di- indictment, then you charge, then you create it and pay the, the the bill. So it's a debt-based. So you must bill first, then you charge, then you pay the debt, okay? So in, uh, in English common law, or in English, the, the, the nobles were known as nobility. The kings were known as nobility. And that's where that, that particular word drives from, is that a king cannot be charged with a crime because they have nobility, right? You can't bill them for that crime because they have nobility. That's where that word uh, comes from. So ah. when you look at nobility, That is what you you can't bill them for a crime because they are nobility, okay? So the the whole concept of of sovereignty derives from the king can do no wrong, which is nobility, okay? Here in America, in the Constitution of the United States, Article 1, Section 9 says that the United States shall not create a hereditary of nobility. You cannot create nobility and patents of nobility here in America because everyone is exactly the same. No one is above another, right? You, You cannot say I'm not billable because I have nobility. We were not to have that. So the United States cannot create nobility. So those judges that say that they're sovereign and immune, they cannot be because that is a title of nobility, saying I can't be billed for a crime. I can't be billed for this offense, okay? Then in Article 1, Section 10, it says that no state shall create a title of nobility. So a state can't create it either. So these state judges that say, I'm sovereign and immune, no, you're not. I'm sovereign and immune. You're my servant. You only exist because I, in my freedom, created your office. Therefore, I'm the sovereign, and not you. Government, government is nothing more than an aggregation of the people. Right? The states don't have sovereignty because the state is nothing but the people. Right? Right. The people. The state is just simply the aggregate of the people. And if the people all have equal rights, the state can't have it, uh, above, uh, be above us. Right? It can't. It doesn't work that way. We have a government
0: that is to serve the people, and that service means that it is below us.
1: Which, the is why, in
0: America. which is why, which is why they like the government won't allow Texas to succeed, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. As much as Texas well, wants to succeed and they file for it and all of these things, but they would actually have to fight the the government, right? All forty nine other states and, and able to succeed, right?
1: Right, and so yeah, that's that's the um that that's this the the theory of federalism. So. You know, that was what they were thinking with uh, with militia and the insurrection. that if a state itself refuses to uh, enforce the laws of the United States, what happens is, is they're no longer part of the United States. You know, if you're if you're not bound to the Constitution, you refuse to enforce the Constitution. Guess what? You're no longer in America. Like here in Washington, right. they don't they don't abide by the Fifth Amendment. So this doesn't feel like America to me. I'm in some other country because everything that I have, all my beliefs and everything I believe in, in as far as America and the Constitution. They aren't real. They aren't true because here in Washington, they don't do the things that are required of them. So, you know, you in order to have harmony, in order to have a union, we have to have something that creates the unity. And that thing that creates unity among all the states is the Constitution because there's nothing else. Our unity comes from faith in our laws. It's they and faith in them that unite us and not the states. The only thing that unites Washington to Florida or California to New York is the Constitution of the United States and faith in it. That's, that's what makes America, America. So when you refuse to enforce or recognize the Constitution of the United States, you are no longer a part
0: of America. Well, this is how this is how you got Washington with no grand jury. This is how you have New York arresting people for not having a vaccination card. And yep. this is how you have Florida, where people are just walking around like nothing exists. Like nothing. You California, you can't,
1: you can't, California, You can't go to church, you can't sing. I mean, for a year, they couldn't... You, you, if You sung, you, you. were going to jail for a year. I mean, where's that coming from? It's coming from these states feeling as though they can act however they want. So they're coming up with their own individual sovereignty and their sovereign status, the ability to be able to govern whatever way they see fit. So well, was that Trump, is not a federal republic? That is a confederacy. So that was is a tr- democratic was government. Was Trump correct
0: remember, when was Trump correct when Trump was saying, you know. Uh, that he wanted the states to handle their own business as far as it came to COVID, you know, this is what governors are in place for, because my understanding is that, you know, you have, the state has its own constitution. You know, you have a state constitution that resides within the the government constitution. And yet this, the state that like the governor is the, the president of this state. So, I mean, is, is that correct?
1: No, no. So so the thing is, is that every one of these governors work for the president. The presidents, they, they don't they don't recognize that. They don't do it. But the executive officer of the state works for the executive officer of the nation, right? There were three issues that we were dealing with when we, when we were moving from Confederacy to, to the, the Federal Republic. And I already went through the first one. That is the legislative branch. So we didn't have any way of making the states actually implement the laws that were created by the central government. So they created the legislative branch. So that we have a representative government, they all make the laws and they are all in agreement because they have the legislative branch, right? And it's equally represented. So the next issue was, was was that there was no executive officer in the federal side that, that ensured that the laws were being enforced within the states, being enforced and ministered properly within the states. So they created the executive branch. The president is there to, to manage. He's the, Each one of the governors are subordinates to him. So when he creates a, a requirement that should federate out to each one of the governors and to, to, to administer, to execute it. You know, um, no, those governors work for the president. And so that president's in a position of uniting the people and uniting the States, that's his job, not to, not to, not to pull politics and, you know, and bad mouth, uh, you know, half the nation, his job is to, is to unite, is to, is to be, you know, the representative for all the people and to speak for all the people, not half of them, but all. Of them. So, right. No, I, I disagree wholeheartedly that that um, when we allow the states to do whatever they want, that creates a disharmony among the nation, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want disharmony. We want we want a single, um, just like a, the, the judicial branch. If the Supreme Court makes a decision, that decision then flows out to every single one of the regional courts, and they have to follow it, right? The same thing should happen with the executive branch. If he makes a, a ruling or an order, placed in an executive order, then that order should go to all the states, and they should administer it so that we have equal uh, 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 practice and application of laws among all of governments. Otherwise, we have this disharmony. But you mentioned the state constitution. And the issue with the state constitution is that's the way the confederacy works, right? If the states have their own laws, then that means that they're sovereign. And if they're sovereign, then remember, when we, um, when we were moving from the federal government to, or from the confederacy to that, the third thing that we were dealing with was um, judicial was uh, the judicial branch not having uh, not having a high court that would be able to uh, make a ruling that applied to uh, a legal uh, proceeding or a legal uh, decision that would then federate outside each one of the courts? So the whole point in the three branches of government being separate and, and balanced is that each one of these these uh, three branches of government they they took away this localist view. So the the Confederacy was all about the localist, right? So the states. They, they governed whatever the way they wanted to. There was a loose central government that associated from you know, one state to another state, but, but there was no, no governing structure within that to be able to require the states, each one, to, to, to abide and to act in, in the same manner. So we had the Confederacies that, that each one of the states said, we're sovereign, we can do whatever we want. We can govern our people however we want to govern them, and there was no way to, to, to require that. So when we became the Federal Republic, when we adopted the Constitution, each one of these states gave up their sovereignty, gave up their ability to govern whatever they want, to become a part of the union, and thus be bound by the by the majority um, uh, communal and societal relationship that was established through the Constitution of the United States. There were two different theories in, in what to do when we were dealing with the, the first constitu- uh, 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 Constitutional Congress. First was the localist view and simply an enhancement, and thereby uh, maintaining the sovereignty of the states and and just increasing, you know, participation in the central government, or we do something completely different, and we and we fix these three issues that we have by creating three branches of government. They're all separate but equal, and they're all sealed with their own individual uh, duties and responsibilities. We have a major separation of, of uh, separation powers issue in 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 everything that's that's happening today. So, you know, you have the executive branch that's. Uh, uh, it's believing that they can, uh, that they can tell, that they can suspend the the Constitution at whim. You know, they can they can make that decision because they're the president, the, and the president's that important. And then you have the the executive, the, the judicial branch that's saying that they can alter, amend, and destroy the Constitution of the United States, such as in, in the case of Barron versus Baltimore, where they say that the Bill of Rights doesn't apply to uh, as a restriction to the states, but only a restriction against the federal government. That is absolutely contrary to the Constitution. And when you have the, the, the judicial branch that says that the indictment by a grand jury is not required by, by the states. Which, that is then altering, and amending, or destroying the Constitution of the United States. That is not their job. That is the job of the legislative branch. So you have the separation mm-hmm. powers. The states themselves, that are substituting their own alternative legislation for the provisions and guarantees of the Constitution. That means that the states are more powerful than the federal government. And mm-hmm. if the federal government doesn't have the power to maintain its own its own unity, right, because uh, President Abraham Lincoln said, it has long been a great question whether any government, not too strong for the liberties of its people, can be strong enough to maintain its own existence in great emergencies. You know, if our federal government doesn't have the power or or the capacity to be able to maintain its own its own superiority, then we don't have a, a union. We we have the states that are more powerful than, than the federal government. And so that was the point in in these states. Because you mentioned that in the beginning there. These states. When you have one state that refuses to enforce the Constitution of the United States, the other states around it, its job is to is to is to act and 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 require that state to to return to its uh, compliance with the laws, with the foundational law. So each one of these states, their duty and responsibility is to is to maintain that harmony, to not go and, and say we can we can do something different and we're not gonna follow the constitution and we're gonna you know do whatever we want. That's not the role of state. State should be there to unite and, and to act as that buffer between central government and people. So mm. they've forgotten what it is. I, I think that in one of my, one of my responses to the court, I think it was the one, maybe the rebuttal uh, at the district court. What I said was that, was that um, I'm appalled by the state's ingratitude of, uh, of the sacrifices of great Americans, such as Dr. Martin Luther King and president Abraham Lincoln, who gave all they had, including their lives in battle for equality for a state claiming to be progressive, and cognizant of the plight of humanity, it is disturbingly regressive in its understanding of our nation's history, the application of our nation's laws, and its role in the governing of our nation's people. And I think that says a lot, because these states, they don't understand our nation's history, they've forgotten it, they don't understand their role in governing our people, and they certainly don't understand how our laws work, because they're refusing to recognize and enforce the Supreme Law of Land, which, you know, it is appalling to think that that these states will will claim to be progressive and claim to be cognizant and and for the people, but yet go and and oppress them in such a manner that, that, that we, it goes against all of our principles of of Americanism, everything that we fought for all the blood that's died in in sacrifice of, uh, of this battle for equality. And, and uh, I want to see the state step up because it needs to happen.
0: Well, I think that's happening because of, of how you, exactly what you outlined is that we're, 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 we're acting under judicial <clears throat> judicial law yeah you know what i mean and, and, and you so don't... when you're able to go back to Barron versus baltimore and cite that as as law and and as something to follow this is an issue which i want to say before i let you back in and then we're going to get into self-incrimination but but um after since since this is uh, the the Fifth Amendment, I think after this here we'll we'll do we'll make an episode on Barron versus Baltimore. We've been we've been promising that to the people. So after this, our next our next get together, we'll do that. It, it, and then we'll the next um we'll we'll run some more amendments, and then we'll do another landmark uh, decision that, that's affecting, you know, it's essentially going against the Constitution. Yeah. Um, because I would really like to get into the federal crime bill and, and these things as well, you know, title yeah. 18 and, and such. But yeah. um, that's 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 down the road. But um, so I'll let you speak and then let's get into the self-incrimination.
1: OK, so so my case, I'm asking two questions because you've got to ask the, the, the court questions. And, and I'm, I'm not necessarily for that, because when we ask the court a question and we say, do we have this right? We are giving them the ability to to decide whether or not we have it. I don't believe that that we were meant to ask questions, but that's the the way that they do it. I think that we should go to them and say, we have this right. Please enforce it. Because the moment we ask questions, then they become the God. Then they become the one who has the power in their hands. Our rights. And that's not the way it works. We determine our rights. The people do, then we go to them to enforce those rights. So I don't like the idea of asking the court questions, but that's the format that they have. I'm not going to argue with that. I have two questions that I'm going to be asking the the, the Supreme Court in my case. And these, I believe, are the two two main issues that are driving all of these issues across the country. You know, the roots of tyranny and oppression can amass great evils. The roots come from these two things. So the first question is, do states have the right to substitute their own alternative legislation for the provisions and guarantees of the United States Constitution? Right. That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. States right. cannot substitute their own alternative legislation for the provisions and guarantees of the constitution. And as a result, all these state constitutions that say that they don't give a grand jury or or that they don't do they those are all rendered unconstitutional. They're all nullified through through uh through this through supremacy. So that's issue number one. And that would mean that here in the state of Washington, for instance, Article 1, Section 26, that says no grand jury shall be drawn or summoned in any county, must then be replaced with the correct provision of the Fifth Amendment saying you must have an indictment by grand jury before holding them over. So that's number one. States cannot substitute their own alternative legislation for the provisions the guarantees the constitution. Okay? Um, so uh, the second question is, is does the judicial branch have legal authority to alter, amend, or destroy any of the provisions or guarantees of the United States Constitution? Again, this is rhetorical as well. The judicial branch does not have legal authority to alter, amend, or destroy the United States Constitution. That is the sole responsibility and duty of the people of the United States. So when you have Barron versus Baltimore, for instance, or you have Hurtado versus California, or you have any one of these other rulings where, you know, um, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson or Dred Scott versus Sanford, they're clearly unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional because the Supreme Court of the United States felt as though they had the power to alter and or destroy the Constitution of the United States. You cannot declare the Constitution unconstitutional because the judicial branch has nothing to compare it to. So they can't come in and say, oh, that provision in the Constitution is not constitutional because there's nothing to, to, to compare the constitutionality of it. Right. We assume automatically that the Constitution is constitutional because it was ratified by the people. But once again, in order for laws to be legitimate, they must be considered just and equal. There is an element of the Constitution that was unconstitutional and and and, and violated the, uh, the parameters of egalitarianism, and we have to get rid of that, and that is that, that, that all men are equal. There is no slave. There is no – difference in black and white there is no difference in man and woman or rich and poor we are all equal everything one of us we are all given our freedom and, and maintain it so no
0: question the thing is judicial
1: branch has no legal authority to alter men or destroy the constitution of the united states and in doing that that means that one hurtado versus california which is the decision that was made that, that said that the states don't have to abide by the grand jury don't have to use it that they can use the information instead that is contrary to the constitution made by the weight court and as a result it's unconstitutional and it will be rendered such that because the judicial branch, particularly Chief Justice Waite, had no right to say that the state constitution is more powerful than the federal constitution. When the state constitution says that they do it differently, you aren't to side with the state constitution, you are to side with the federal constitution. It will render that nullified. And then as a result of me being able to go through Hurtado, I can then attack Baron v. Baltimore directly because Baron v. Baltimore is still Supreme Court president today. And as a result of the deprivation of the right that I had through the Hurtado case, thought it was projecting to Barron versus Baltimore, I can attack Barron versus Baltimore directly, and thus we can reverse these, these you know, these hundreds of years of, of, uh, of illegal and unlawful um, application of our fundamental Supreme law. So uh, my intent is to get rid of Barron versus Baltimore. And so you mentioned, once again, the state constitution. So I just want to say that when you have two different constitutions, you have a state constitution and you have a federal constitution. What that does is it creates two different citizenships, right? We've heard this before. The dual citizenship theory derives from the Dred Scott case. It is still fallout from that particular case. So in Dred Scott, they said that they told the, they told the individual that they said blacks are not people, right? And mm-hmm. they told him to go back and argue with the state because you are not a citizen in the United States because you're not a person. So you have to go back to the state and argue with it. So that whole dual sovereignty or, or dual citizenship theory that is espoused by Dred Scott. So when we have state constitutions, and they're one way, and then we have federal constitutions, what that implies is that there's two different citizenships that we can be treated differently. So the state constitution can give us whatever rights we have. Therefore, when we're going through a state adjudication process, we only get what rights are within the state constitution. But in the federal side, we have all those. That's not how it's supposed to work, right? The Constitution of the United States applies to all persons within the jurisdiction of the United States. You're not suddenly no longer a United States citizen because you're residing within the state of Washington. And you're to be treated the same no matter where you're residing in in the United States of America. So the Constitution of the United States is the only thing that matters. States were not supposed to have their own constitutions because once they have their own laws, then guess what? They're enforcing their own laws, which means that they become a party. There's supposed to be one one unified set of laws, and that was to derive from the United States of America, from the representative government, and federated out to all the regional governments for administration. We weren't supposed to have state laws what state laws that people are uh, bound to. So
0: that's what I got. Yeah. So going into self-incrimination, um, I'm going to read a little bit uh, coming out of Cornell Law, <clears throat> what they say about it. And what it says is, the Fifth Amendment also protects criminal defendants from having to testify if they may incriminate themselves through the testimony. A witness may plead the Fifth quote unquote, and not answer if the witness believes answering the question may be self-incriminatory. In the landmark Miranda versus Arizona ruling, the United States Supreme Court extended the Fifth Amendment protections to encompass any situation outside of the courtroom that involves the curtailment of personal freedom. Therefore, any time that law enforcement takes a suspect into custody, law enforcement must make the suspect aware of all rights known as miranda rights this is what we see in tv when we when they say you know did they did they read his miranda rights did he meet you know that's what they mean these rights include the right to remain silent the right to have an attorney present during questioning and the right to have a government appointed attorney <clears throat> if the suspect cannot afford one however Courts have since then slightly narrowed the Miranda rights, holding that police interrogations or questionings that occur prior to taking the suspect into custody does not fall within the Miranda requirements. And police are not required to give the Miranda warnings to take the suspects prior to taking them into custody, and their silence in some instances can be deemed to be Implicit admission of guilt, as we talked earlier about. If law enforcement fails to honor these safeguards, courts will often suppress any statements by the suspect as violating the Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination, provided that the suspect has not actually waived the rights. An actual waiver occurs when a suspect has made the waiver knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily. To determine if a knowing, intelligent, and voluntary waiver has occurred, a court will examine the totality of the circumstances, which considers all pertinent circumstances and events. If a suspect makes a spontaneous statement while in custody prior to being made aware of the Miranda rights, law enforcement can use the statement against the suspect, provided that police interrogation did not prompt the statement. The Fifth Amendment right does not extend to an individual's voluntarily prepared business papers because the element of compulsion is lacking. Similarly, the right does not extend to potentially incriminating evidence derived from obligatory reports or tax returns. To be self-incriminating, the compelled answers must be must pose a substantial and real and not merely or trifling or imaginary hazard of criminal prosecution. After Congress passed the Crime Control and Safe Streets Act, some felt that the statute by implication overruled the requirements of Miranda. Some scholars also felt that Congress constitutionally exercised its power in passing this law because they felt that Miranda represented a matter of judicial policy rather than an actual manifestation of fifth amendment rights that's cornell law
1: so the
0: whole point in the constitution
1: remember is to establish rights and limit powers people have rights government has powers okay so we want to preserve the rights and we do that by by limiting the by limiting the powers, by making it so that there's checks and balances that are in place and limitations that are imposed upon uh, upon the the individuals, law enforcement, and everything that's 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 uh, uh that's um, administering the those laws. So we limit the powers in order to preserve the rights. Okay, we don't do it the other way. So you don't you don't. You don't preserve the right or the, the, the powers. You don't you don't make it so that they're easier to, to maintain or, or easier to get around because that would then be at the detriment of the, of the rights. So that would go against the constitutional theory, the constitutional belief. We're not protecting government. We're not protecting the prosecutors because here in our, in our system of government that, that sometimes a guilty person may appear to be set free. But we have a system that if it works properly, innocent people will not be punished. But today we have 15% of the people in prison that are innocent. And we have that because we're not following the rules, because we're making it so that government is protected. That's not what the Constitution is meant to do, right? We shouldn't be doing that. We need to protect the the people because the most important thing here in America, the the thing that makes us unique, is that innocence was not meant to suffer. We have a system that if it's used properly, innocence won't suffer. But if it's not used properly, then guess what? Then, Then... you have what's called legal realism, which is the belief that judges make the, the laws and it's not based upon a formal set of rules or principles, but instead upon individual judicial decisions that's based upon their own social, political or public policy. So when you have judges that, that believe that they, can, that they can make rulings or lawmakers that believe that they can make laws that are contrary to constitution, you have what's called legal realism, which is not constitutionally based. It does not permit the fair and equal treatment of people. Now, legal realism has always exposed the political nature of laws. Always, you know, and in the absence of due process, you have innocence that suffers because of legal realism, because people are not being treated equally and fairly. Mm. So, you know, legal realism all through history, you can point to it and you can see the political and oppressive nature of the law that was created or the ruling that was created as a result of someone's social, political, or public policy. You know, so when the wait Court wants to actually advance and and proliferate the slave institution, then they do that through legal realism. And that shows once you historically look back at it, you can see the political nature of the law because it had it had that intent. But so the uh, the rules of civil procedure, it specifically states. Now, this is also in correlation with, with Miranda, but this is directly out of uh, out of the um, rules of civil procedure. But it says rules which come from judges. Right. Rules must not conflict with statutes. Those are laws written by people or impair the legal rights of the parties. Legal rights of the parties would be the constitutional rights. Thus, a court has no power to declare a rule that shall constitute a waiver of a constitutional right. A court cannot create a rule that shall constitute a waiver of a constitutional right. So when a judge says to you, do you want to waive your right to a speech trial? Or do you want to ra- waive your right to a jury trial? Right. According to civil procedures, guys, can't do that. Rules cannot conflict with statutes because rules don't change laws. Laws are made by the people, and rulings are made by judges, but judges are tethered to positive law, the law made by the people. Otherwise, they're acting unlawfully outside of the law itself, and that's arbitrarily. That's a government a, gov- a government of man as opposed to a government of laws. We're, we're supposed to be a government of laws. We're supposed to be governed by the laws that we create here govern us, but instead, we have a man that says we're not going to do that, and we're going to do something different, and thus created a waiver of a constitutional right. The judge can't ask you if you want to waive your right to anything, because in doing so, it would have impaired the, the the legal structure, the statutory obligation that exists that was established by the Constitution. That's why I say that our rights can't be waived; they can be taken away. They are unalienable because before we have that right to to, to use or to waive, the judge has already breached his duty to act and to ensure that you that you're guaranteed it. A breach in their constitution in their contract does not entitle them the right to be able to. Go in and, and, and breach your contract or establish a new contract with you. If the judge has to breach his oath of office, breach his contract that he, was, that he established, saying that I will do what the Constitution of the United States says, if he has to breach his contract in order to get you to plead guilty and establish a new contract with you, that makes the second contract illegal because it derives from the breach of, constitu- of, of contract number one. Right. In constitutional law, it, so contract law, you can't do that. The judge can't breach one contract to enter into a new contract.
0: Without oh, it's it's both, in the same sense people. as criminal law as well. I mean, wherever the at uh, where wherever the error occurred at in the process, anything it doesn't even matter if if you follow judicial law behind that error, it's still an error. You have right. to go back to the original error and fix that error, and everything behind that is is redone.
1: Exactly. So you know you have what's called progeny, right? And we use. We use what's called um, case law here, right? And we, we, we talk about it all the time, All the time, common law, right? English common law. So common law is based upon case law. Case law is the lowest form of common law, right? It's judge-made rulings. And so once again, if we were a government of laws, and the government of law's doctrine meaning that the laws are superior and everything derives from them, the Constitution is the foundation and everything's built upon it, then that would mean that the highest form of law or the, the, the supreme power would be the Constitution of the United States, and we would go to it to determine whether or not a violation of your rights have, have occurred. But that's not how it works, is it? Right? The way it works is, is if I file a, a, a complaint of a constitutional violation, they go to case law. They go to the lowest form of law to determine whether or not my rights have been violated, which means that their, their oath is not, is not directly with the Constitution of the United States like it's supposed to be, but instead upon the judicial ruling of the judge that came before them or the flawed decision of the judge that came before that judge. So they're, they're going to the wrong, to the wrong uh, location. Case law and stare decisis was not meant for a government of laws. It was meant for civil law and not criminal law. Criminal law was, post, was supposed to be based upon procedures and processes that are defined so that every single person involved in the system will, will result in the same process, is the same adjudication. But when they go and they use stare decisis and they use case law, then that means you can treat them however you want because you can always find a case that will side with whatever it is that you want to, to determine.
0: Right. It always happens. So, right. size and that's how you get a man in Arizona sentenced to seven life sentences for marijuana. Right. Yeah.
1: You know, and, and once again, so Article 4 of the Constitution says uh, the citizens in each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities as the citizens in the several states. So when you have a state and you have the federal government that allows for say the state of Washington to legalize marijuana or down in Oregon where all drugs are legalized they yeah. last year they legalized every every drug right decriminalized it all and guess what that means that there's privileges yeah they, in they decriminalized in the it. they didn't
0: legalize it
1: they do well they legalized it they, they they're not prosecuting which means that it, they're, they're lawfully able to possess it heroin and all the rest they're
0: but you can't buy it. That's that's the thing. You can't go into a store and purchase it. No, no. But but Definitely. you're not charged with it if you have it on you.
1: Right. So that's an immunity, right? So right. privilege would be you can go into the store and buy it. An immunity is that you're immune to it. You're not going to be charged for it. Exactly. So all privileges and immunities of United States citizens shall be equal all across the United States. So when the federal government allows or permits the state of Oregon to create a law that says we're not we're decriminalizing these drugs, guess what? Someone that's arrested in Ohio, all you got to do is say, wait a second, now Oregon's got an immunity that I don't have, therefore you can't charge me with this, with this offense. As long as the federal government permits a state to come out and create those laws and, and doesn't pull supremacy in order to maintain that, 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 unity, then guess what? All citizens in each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities as the citizens in the several states. If one state and one United States citizen has, has one immunity in the state of Oregon, then every single United States citizen in every single jurisdiction in the United States has that same immunity by law and by constitution. Because remember, in order for laws to be legitimate in our system of government, they must be considered just and equal. Every single person is treated the exact same way by laws and egalitarianism type of government. That's what we established. That's what we chose. And so as a result, you can't have a person in the state of, of New York you know, being denied a right that's, that's that's secured and enumerated and guaranteed to individuals in the state of Ohio. You can't do it. Right.
0: But yet, a so, prosecutor can go in and cite a judge's opinion from another state. I do it all the time. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. So, so you yeah. can go in. You can go in and cite a judge's opinion from another state, and and what was applicable in his state. But I'm not privy to that state's uh, laws, whether it's 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 the de- decriminalization of drugs. So if I get caught with meth here in Florida or crack or heroin or anything like that. I'm going to be charged, and I can't say, well, they do it in Washington or they do it in Oregon. That's not going to be applicable to my case. However, they can go into Washington and cite a judge to criminalize me or penalize me. Well, it it actually would be applicable if, if we actually
1: were following the Constitution, right? If right. the states weren't allowed to have their own laws and, and to govern their people their own way, because remember, states' rights has always been code word for segregation or discrimination. So when you allow for states' rights to exist, that means that the states have the right to, to govern however they want, and that causes segregation. It causes the ability to – I like that. I've never heard that different. before. Yeah, the, I, state, the states' rights have always been code word for, for segregation all through history. When you say states' rights, it means segregation. It means the, the ability to treat – Uh, citizens differently within the the local region, within the the location. But states' rights, states' rights derive from a case called um, um, uh, Santa Clara uh, Railroad, or uh, Southern Pacific Railroad versus Santa Clara County. And so in that particular case, it it happened before the oral arguments even started. But what was said was that, and it was under, I believe, the, um, the Fuller Court, I believe. But anyway, what was said before the court heard oral arguments was, they said that that we're in agreement that the Fourteenth Amendment applies to this organization. So they were saying that the Fourteenth Amendment, which is which is what binds the states to uh, to the uh, Bill of Rights and, and makes them enforceable to uh, to the, to the people. Uh, it, they were saying that that now this corporation, being the Southern Pacific Railroad, now has the the the, the, the protection of the Fourteenth Amendment. What that did was it said that corporations are now people, right, and it gave. It gave corporations the protection of the Fourteenth Amendment, which meant that they now have rights, right? They're protected like people, so they have to have equal protection and all the rest. And, and that's carried on for years. It still is today. The, the corporations can be treated as though as a person; they have they have rights. But the thing is, is that a state is a corporation. So right. the whole point in making that decision was to give states rights. Because rights are more powerful than powers, so when we talk about states' rights, it derives from that particular case where they said, "Yep, this railroad, who's a for-profit business, is protected by the Fourteenth Amendment," and the states just said, "Awesome! Well, now we have rights because we're a corporation." That's exactly right. Guess what? They can now own property, right? And slaves are private property protected by the Constitution, driving from the Dred Scott case, and that was the whole reason in making that decision was to memorialize the Dred Scott case. I've been saying that all along. These rulings have been put into place particularly to memorialize Dred Scott and memorialize the slavery institution and to make it so that the slaves cannot sue the slave owner in federal court for their freedom. Which,
0: which, is, where, to- which is where I want to break down a whole nother episode with you on straw yeah. man, which is straw man comes in and how each of us are looked upon as, as, as a corporate entity. This is yeah. why our name is in all capital letters on our birth certificates. This is why we have social security <laughs> numbers. This is why we are a corporate entity.
1: Yeah. So uh, another thing that I, that I say often is that if you want to predict the future, all you have to do is study the past, right? So history will always tell you, you know, what's happening. And so if you look at history and we look at where, where we're at today, where there's Dred Scott and, you know, this, this division and, and dual citizenship and everything that's going on. We look in and we say, all right, Plessy versus Ferguson segregation issue, which, which we're experiencing as well. What changed that? What fixed that? Well, it was Brown versus Board of Education, right? And what did Brown do? Well, Brown established what it is personally. They, they said, this is what personhood is. So we're dealing today with this corporate issue where corporations are, are believed to be a person, right? And they can own property because the slaves are private property. So they wanted to do that in order to advance the Dred Scott case. And so if that's true, then we can look at brown versus board of education we can see what did they do to win their case and we can actually present a very similar argument because history is simply repeating itself well in the Brown versus board of education case they had four requirements for personhood right they established them and the very first one no state can can, can abide by and that is they must be self-aware states aren't self-aware not aware of anything therefore they can't be a person and that's already been established by the supreme court of the united states and so for years and years and years, we've had these corporations in these states have been able to say, we've got the right to do what we want because we've got rights and they have rights because of this case. Well, you're not a person state, you have powers and we need to bring them back and, and say, no, your powers are limited. So, you know, we don't want states to have rights. We don't. Government has power, people have rights, we need to maintain that. So that, that, that ruling from Santa Clara Railroad. It is absolutely contrary to the Constitution, and it was put into place to proliferate the slave industry. You know, because once again, you had Hans versus Louisiana that said that 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 if you're that you don't have the right to be able to sue your state in federal court, right? So that was the first one. So it made it so that the slave can't sue the the, the master, the new slave master, in federal court. But then they had to make make it so that the, the state was able to own property because a corporation can't own property; a person only owns property. So they had to make the corporation's person in order to preserve the property, in order to make it so that you can't bring them into federal court and sue them. That's the whole that's point in these, in, these, in these cases. Those two cases right there represent you know the biggest barrier between uh, a constitutional violation and deprivation of rights and restoration of those rights, restoration of freedom. Those are the two barriers between most civil rights cases across the United States, and yet people aren't talking about them because hmm. they don't understand the, the historical underpinnings to it. So – The um, this incrimination uh, self incrimination uh, clause, it's really important. But the thing is, is that is that the way that our Constitution works is that it's not necessarily an outdated document. There are still rights and freedoms that are that are within it. that are embedded within it that we don't even know about. That we're still learning about today. Like my case is bringing up a couple of uh, establishment of rights right now that we 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 weren't even aware of. Like Hmm. every single one of us has the right to go to the Supreme Court of the United States and demand that they hear our case. Because there's a duty established by the Constitution of the United States making them responsible for for hearing our cases. When it says that in all cases in which a state shall be party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. That means that the United States Supreme Court must hear our case if our case derives from a state, right? And and as an obligation, because that's what the Constitution creates, an obligation. The Supreme Court doesn't have the right to disregard the obligation without, without violating our rights. Because remember, the breach of obligation results in a violation of the right. Our rights derive from another duty to act. So when I go to Supreme Court and I say, you have a duty to hear my case because it derives from the state and the Constitution establishes that obligation, if they refuse to do it, we then have a right established. Because guess what? Rights derive from those duty to act. They have a duty. It's established. We have to show that they have a duty, and as, re- as a result of showing it, then they have to, they have to, they have to fill it. So mm-hmm. our rights are constantly popping up, and they'll continue to pop up for as long as we're in existence, as long as the Constitution remains, because – there, there are things in there that, that, that we don't even know about because we live in an incident-driven society. So it, it requires an incident in order to create the change. Right. Our country just, doesn't just wake up one day and say, we're going to do things differently. It requires a reason, right? And that reason, only it's only one person, one case. You know, one case creates this reason, this, this incident that then drives the change. And then America is able to evolve and, and become more just or whatever because of, of, of the incident. So within an incident-driven society, that, that's that's how it works, is that we don't know what our rights are until we actually have an incident that occurs that drives, you know, the change and, and the change in thinking. So we learn from our mistakes, but we learn from the mistakes of the people, because that's the only way the nation can learn. So um, now, once again, so uh, the concept of, um, of, of the self-incrimination, you know, they point it at, at, at law enforcement doing interrogation. But- but remember, that prosecutor is the highest law enforcement officer within the, the county or within the area, right? right? So their job is still the law enforcement. They're still the investigators and, and so on. So, you know, Miranda versus Arizona dealt with police officers, with bringing them into a police station, and that it created enough fear and intimidation simply being within the police station, all these officers around with guns and hard uniforms, that that created enough pressure on this individual that he would it would compel them to make statements that would not necessarily be correct in order to ease up with the pressure, right? Because when you're under under pressure, you're being intimidated. You want to get that to remove that intimidation. You want to make you want to make it go away. And so you'll take every opportunity to get out of it, to get out of that pressure and to and to leave yourself of it. So you know the Supreme Court decided in Miranda versus Arizona that you can't bring someone in and interrogate them, you know, without without their 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 consent, without them being looked to. Because otherwise, you're going to come in and, and you'll get you'll get um, involuntary statements. So right. you'll get
0: waterboarded. You'll get all kinds of shit. All kinds of stuff.
1: Yeah. So now think about it. Right? How is a jail any different than a police department? A jail is worse because they've taken your whole freedom. You're in. You're in cuffs. You're in.
0: Hold on, Tanner. Why I lost you. I lost you. Good start. Okay, I can hear you now. Okay, the last thing okay. I heard was uh, the jail.
1: Okay, so so a jail is no different than than a uh, than a police department, right? So Miranda versus Arizona was dealing with the police department. They'll bring you in, they'll interrogate you, and so on. Well, when you're arrested and you're brought into jail, before you're even interrogated or talked to. And then they put you through these, these tactics to, to threaten and intimidate you by hauling you around in handcuffs, by getting you out of your own clothes and into their their uniforms, by not feeding you enough, by putting you into a into, into cold uh, location, locking you down 23 hours a day. Each one of these are designed to create fear and intimidation, and it gets you to comply with their with their wants and desires. So then you have the highest law enforcement officer that indirectly processes a threat to you, right? And it comes through your your, your, uh, your public uh, defender, or your or your attorney. That attorney will come up to you and say, well, I got a great deal for you. If you'll just plead guilty to this, she'll drop the five charges over here, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, you're already under those pressure. So <clears throat> once again, robbery and extortion are very, very close to one another. They're very close to one another in, in the spectrum of of crime, okay? A robbery is establishing a contract through illegal means with the threat of immediate bodily harm, okay? Immediate bodily harm. So that would be robbery. Now, my case presents what's called the formula of intimidation. And everybody, you want to learn this, okay? The formula of intimidation goes like this, and all intimidation follows this formula. It says, if you don't do X, I will do to you Y, whereby X is my envisioned outcome, and Y is the result my powers can cause, okay? So let's use robbery for instance now. I have the power to bear arms. If I go and buy a gun, and I point it at you, and I employ the formula of intimidation, it is, if you don't give me your money, I will shoot you right so i'm formulating a contract for your money right that contract is is put into place but i'm doing it through any illegal means because i'm using the threat of dress or harm immediate bodily harm to you and therefore you establish a contract you give me your money through an illegal means that is a crime called robbery right okay so my mission outcome is i want you to give me your money a result of my powers and causes i will shoot you and you will die therefore you give me your money not out of willingness and volition but as a result of the fear dress that I've inflicted upon you, right? That would be robbery. Now, extortion is to establish the contract through illegal means with the threat of future bodily harm, okay? Future bodily harm. So if I'm a prosecutor, I have the power to send you to prison. I have the power to give you charges, right? So if I employ the formula of intimidation, it goes like this. If you don't plead guilty, I will send you to prison for 20 years. My envisioned outcome is I want you to plead guilty. I'll of my powers and causes. You will go to prison for 20 years. You decided to plead guilty for one year in order to avoid the 20 years because of the fear or dress that I inflict upon you. The contract that I've established is, is to take your life away, not your money, but your life. And I do it through an illegal means because of the threat of future bodily harm. It's extortion. You are yep. establishing a contract through illegal means. And the thing about it is, is <clears throat> it's not up to the judge to determine whether or not you've been intimidated, right? When you have witness intimidation, do, do they question that witness? Do they say, you know, the, the, their witness do they say that that, that you didn't know all that has to happen is that witness say that you were that they were intimidated by a statement that you made to them. that's it yep. that's because intimidation is an inward manifestation and not an outward manifestation right if a judge asked me to show him my intimidation i can't show him it like it's scratching my arm it's inside of me something happened to me i know i was intimidated i know that you threatened me and as a result of that threat i pled guilty to something that i wouldn't have been found guilty of and you did it through the use of 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 a discretion, abuse of discretion, abuse of your power. Yep. That is actually
0: common. that's that's what I'm dealing with in Mississippi with the case of Curtis Davis Jr. where he was he was essentially uh, uh threatening coerced into pleading to manslaughter. If not, he was going to be charged, his wife was going to be charged with first degree murder, and that he would never see his son again. That was the coercion. So yeah. he he ended up signing to manslaughter.
1: Right. And so so when you say to, to someone that I'm going to, I'm going to put your wife into prison and I'm going to take your son away, you know, if you went into a jury and you said to that jury, you know, I was threatened and intimidated and pleading guilty, and you, and you pose that, that question to the jury, there isn't a single juror that, that wouldn't say that they, that they wouldn't feel as though, even if they didn't decide to plead guilty, that it wouldn't make them think about it, right? And even, even the process of, of, of tampering with you is
0: still a crime. With, with witnesses, is I don't. I honestly, t- t- Tana, well, I don't think a jury <clears throat> would know. I think a jury would ask the question, "Well, if you're guilty, then 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 take the manslaughter." You know what I mean? I think that's where the American mindset is at these days. Is that when the government says it, it is true.
1: So, so when I was when I was bringing up my 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 defense strategy for my trial, my whole strategy was this. Right, was that. My wife and I—we didn't want this no contact order. We we wanted to be married. We were gonna we were gonna maintain it for two and a half years during all this. We were fine, but it was the prosecutor that came in, and they they didn't want me to 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 be at home. They wanted to break this up. They wanted to send me to prison and make me stop saying the things that I was saying. So they put the no contact order into place between us. So this criminal element that 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 removed any sort of communication that I could have in order to maintain this relationship with her. But my whole defense strategy was that that. I was going to use the jury as basically a grand jury. And what I was going to do is I was going to say that, that my wife didn't want this, this, this no contact order, the state put it into place. And then this prosecutor came up to me and said, if you don't plead guilty, I will send you to prison for three years. And that caused me to plead guilty to something that I would have never been found guilty of. So if I were to pose that to, to, to this jurors, and I were to say to them, listen, if I said to you, if you don't plead guilty, I will send you to prison for three years. If you think that that would at all influence your decision, or he make you even think about it, you must find me not guilty due to self-defense. I was simply imposing self-defense, and I'm defending my family against this malicious prosecution from this prosecutor who put something into place that, n- that neither of us wanted. right? And so the thing is, is that I would have gotten a juror, to at least one juror, to say, yeah, that would have threatened me. I would have probably gotten every single one of them to say that, that yes, that would, that would influence my decision. Because all you have to do is just put it in your mind. You're they're taking down. everything away from you you just lost your house. You lost your wife. You lost your kids. Everything is gone. And it's it's gone because this person is telling you to do this. And and you could get out today if you would just say that you're guilty. That's all you got to do. And if that would at all influence your decision and cause you to, 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 to say that you're guilty or cause you to, to think about it, you must find me not guilty. Now, they found out about my defense strategy, and that's why they wouldn't allow me to testify. That's why they wouldn't allow me to to cross exam witnesses, because they, they knew that I would win. Because the moment I'm found not guilty in that particular case, guess what? I'm not guilty because the prosecutor committed a crime. That's what that jury would have determined. I'm not guilty because witness intimidation occurred. And now I can say to that prosecutor, you're under arrest. So they didn't want me to do that because they knew that I would have won. I would have, I would have presented it to the, to the jury and the jury would have nullified the law as a result of finding me not guilty. And, and so they wouldn't allow me to testify. They wouldn't allow me to call witnesses. They wouldn't allow me to cross the damn witnesses. And as a result, they, they completely destroyed my, um, my, my defense strategy. But, so the point is, is that um, there are certain elements of a contract, right? And so um, when you look at consideration, right? Consideration deals with the, um, the value of the contract. So you have to have, uh, in order for a contract to be valid, you have to have a, um, the ability for the contract to be represented properly, right? So you have to have the ability to be able to negotiate on both sides. So when the government comes in, the state comes in and says, if you don't plead guilty, I will send you to prison for 30, for twenty years. Where in that is the option of being not guilty. You're either guilty or you're very guilty, right? There's no in between. There's no there's no not guilty. And as a result, there's no contract advantage for me, right? For the individual, and that makes the void contract. It's the, the consideration doesn't exist because of the of the um, of the uh, excessive power that exists on one side of the contract over the other. You know, if we had the grand jury once again, and the grand jury determined that that, you know, that you can only charge them for an assault for, you can't charge them for assault two. Now I know what I can negotiate with. Now I know that, that, that the grand jury believes that it's this crime. Now I know exactly what I'm working with, but if I don't know what I'm working with and they're able to charge, you know, all these charges, then guess what? And that means that they come at me with this obscene amount of time. And I have no, 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 no negotiating power. I have no ability to, to, to win in the negotiation. And so <clears throat> it makes like, the contract uneven. So, um, you, you, you can't have that. and uh, um, you, you have to have contracts that, and the ability to, to, to contract independently uh, uh, and valiciously. You have to have the ability to, to contract on your own and, and make decisions uh, on your own behalf. And they have to be in, in the best interest of, of all parties, not just a single-sided party.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, so the grand jury clause, or the, sorry, the um, the self-incrimination clause, what it says is it says, um, no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to act as a witness against himself, right? So the whole plea bargain issue derives from this particular clause, right? So what it says is no person shall be compelled and Blacks defines compelled as to bring about through the use of threats or intimidation. So when you use threats or intimidation to bring about an end goal, you are compelling someone, okay? And uh, and, and it says in any criminal case, so that would be a misdemeanor or a felony. So any time that you are compelled or threatened or intimidated into pleading guilty, you have, you have violated that, this, this particular clause. And the reason why is because when you plead guilty, down at the bottom of that plea bargain, it says, I did certain things and you sign it, which means that you are acting as a witness against yourself. You are the only witness. And the way that they get you to do that is through the use of threats or intimidation. Plea bargains are unconstitutional. They are illegal. They are a violation of the self-incrimination clause because of the threats and intimidation that's been applied from the prosecutors and judges and the whole system itself in order to get you to plead guilty through the abuse of, of discretion, through the abuse of power. And there's no denying it. So, you know, this is, this, is, this is what they want. This is what they do. And there's no practicing law anymore. These, these prosecutors, they don't know how to argue a case. Right. They, they don't. They don't practice law. Intimidation is not practicing law. But ninety-eight percent of all convictions come by way of plea bargain because they don't want to have to do it any other way. They just simply want to push the numbers, and so that's right. That's so you exactly have to understand right. It.
0: And and they're working off percentages, and because there's 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 immunity, there's no repercussions. So what what do they care? You know what I mean? They're just working off percentages. They want to keep. They just want to keep them passing through, and and whatever they can get. That's
1: yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting statement, and I think it came from Thomas Jefferson, if I remember right, but, but it says that um, – it's talking about the, the, uh, the, the reason for having um, uh, the, um, the speed and efficiency. So speed and efficiency is used when there's an absence of due process of law, right? So you use speed and efficiency as opposed to the structured um, legal process. When you when you want to when you want to speed up, so the absence of due process of law is is used in the case of they want to speed things through. They don't have enough time to deal with all these all these offenses and all these these charges. And so as a result, they focus on speed and efficiency, which results in a, in the deprivation of the due process or a violation of the due process. If they utilized uh, the structure or the the actual the, the actual defined process, then that would result in a much less uh, speedy process. They they wouldn't have the of speed and efficiency that they have otherwise. So it, it, it actually draws the comparison between the two. So when you have speed and efficiency being the focus, like they have day because they have so many charges that they you know can't do it any other way, that results in a deprivation of the due process or a violation of due process as opposed to the structure. But we want the structure because that's the only way that we can have consistency in, uh, in, in laws and consistency in the way that people are treated.
0: Well, T, what um, else? What else you got? So, once again, uh, you know, we mentioned that
1: um, progeny. So, progeny is it, it, they're, they're rulings that drive from another from another case. Okay, so when the Supreme Court of the United States when they come out and they make a ruling, that ruling then applies to all of the regional governments. They all have to implement that rule. So, you know, Supreme Court comes out tomorrow and says that says that. Um, um, you know, that you, that you have to have a grand jury, then every single court within the, within the jurisdiction of the United States would then have to adopt that particular rule and put it into practice. Okay. So when the Supreme Court of the United States comes out with an unconstitutional ruling where they're clearly acting in, in violation of their oath by siding with the state constitution, for instance, or, or, or going against what the constitution itself says, they are in fact making an unconstitutional ruling. And that ruling then flows out to all the regional courts for administration, right? And they must follow that new rule, which means that every single case that drives from that is also rendered unconstitutional. So when you have Barron versus Baltimore from eighteen thirty-three, that says that the Bill of Rights doesn't apply, we can point at that. We can say that is unconstitutional because one, the Constitution says that this Constitution is the supreme law of land and shall enjoy legal superiority over conflicting provisions of state constitutions. We can also point to the judges in every state being bound thereby anything in the Constitution, but allows of the state contrary notwithstanding. So we know that the, 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 the Bill of Rights, when they were when they were ratified by the people on December 15, 1791, as of that moment, they became part of the United States Constitution in all intents and purposes. And as a result, they are applicable no matter who you are where, within jurisdiction of the United States because the judges in every state are bound to do it, right? So my point that is – stays they, in
0: place until the people unratify it, correct? Until
1: the people change or alter it. But for them to come out and say that it doesn't apply to states, that said to the judges in the states, hey, you guys don't have to follow this, which is a violation of the Constitution. Right. right. Because the judges in every state are bound thereby by anything in the Constitution or laws in any state country notwithstanding. So when the Supreme Court comes and says state judges, you don't have to do what the Constitution says, that is an unconstitutional ruling without a doubt. There's no arguing it and, and there's no justifying it. So what happens then is that any case that comes from that derives from that ruling is also going to be rendered unconstitutional until that ruling is removed and the correct ruling is put into place. And and and, uh, and and the system is brought back to, to harmony. <clears throat> so as of right now, because the Bill of Rights applies to the criminal adjudication process, right, every single thing within there all applies to how you make a criminal, right? That means that as long as Barron v. Baltimore remains standing Supreme Court precedent, which it is today, as long as it is, then that means that every single criminal conviction in every single jurisdiction within every single state and every single court is rendered unconstitutional as well because they are tainted by the illegality of the way in which they were obtained if the if the root is unconstitutional then all the fruit coming from it will also be unconstitutional right if the Supreme Court of the United States makes an unconstitutional ruling then every single case every single criminal case is projecting to it and that means that every single criminal judgment in in the United States is unconstitutional and you want to know
0: that's that's, the reason why that's the
1: standard that we're held to that's the standard we're held to but listen you know every single day Cases are overturned and, and rendered unconstitutional because of an error, because of an issue. Those are normally procedural issues that are, that are determined through an appellate process, right? But this just happens to be a facial constitutional violation not on its face, meaning that it, it's not even procedural. It is written right there and is black and white, as clear as day. It's a per se uh, a violation. And as a result, there's no real arguing it, right? But the problem here is that this affects so many people. But the thing is, is that every single day convictions get overturned because they're unconstitutional. It doesn't matter whether it's one person or it's a million people. If it's unconstitutional, it's unconstitutional. And that's what we need to remember, right? They're, they're employing what's called standard. They're, they're trying to keep us from getting this into the, into the Supreme Court by doing everything that they can to make it go away, right? If this that's were right. about just me, if I would have made this just about me and the error that was made in my trial because of that judge's actions – I would have been done a long time ago. They would have paid me. I would have went away. They would have never messed with me again. But this wasn't about me. This was right. about everybody, right? And we have to make that about everybody because, listen,
0: we're don't, all don't, – Don't blame us. Blame the government because they know what they're in, doing.
1: We're all being deprived of rights every single day, every single one of us. We all have cases that, that, that we want to talk about. I want to talk about my case all day long. But the thing is, is that when I talk about my case, that's about me, right? We can settle this issue when we all turn together and we focus on the, on the root problem and we put our voice there as opposed to our voice over here, then guess what? Your, your situation, your problem, your case and your deprivation rights, they derive from that. Mine derives from that. If I talk about mine, we're broken up. But guess what? When we all focus and we all t- start talking about the same thing. Now we've, got fu- now we've got power because we're all talking about it. We're all pointing in that direction and, and you, can't, you can't make that go away. We need to stop talking about our individual cases. We need to start focusing on on the main issue. And when we do that, when we put our voices there, that's when we're going to see change. That's when we're going to see power because they won't be able to make that go away. If we're all talking about the same issue, Barron versus Baltimore, guess what? Barron versus Baltimore is not going to stand. It's not going to be there. The American public won't
0: allow it. Amen. And if okay. you went and you asked twenty people right now about if if they were familiar with that case, how many do you think would say yes?
1: Not not one. I, I, have, a, I have a master's degree in law. I don't I don't I didn't know about. It.
0: Right. So I got exactly. into the
1: system involved. That's where I learned about it. This is the, the, the misin- misinformation that exists.
0: Now, now let me let me let me say this right here on what you just said, because what you just said speaks volumes, and I've been dealing with that for the past week, right? Is is this younger generation. I was surrounded by this younger generation for a while, and they're beautiful people. So I'm not calling anybody out in particular, but it's the it's the mindset of the younger generation, and it's what you just said. Because I had a certain individual that was trying to, quote, unquote, make me understand something. Now, this individual was 25 years old, right? I'm 46. How, how is a 25-year-old going to make me understand anything other than your own personal experience? You know what I mean? Because yeah. all you're trying to tell me or, quote, unquote, make me understand is something that you've been taught what I'm trying to get you to understand is the experience that tells you that what you've been taught is not real life. Right. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what you just said. You just said you just went through criminal law and you didn't even know about Barron versus Baltimore until you experienced it. You know right. what I mean? And had to research it on your own. And that is exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to that. So, you know, you yeah, can have so, all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have the experience in that field of knowledge to determine whether what you learned is right or wrong, then all you have is that knowledge. And you don't know whether it's right or wrong.
1: Right. So, uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, you know, all of the ancient philosophers, they all believed in something that was called Phronesis is is practical wisdom, right? It's practical wisdom. And they said that it's something that can't be taught, but it must be learned from experience. But it's the highest virtue that man can achieve, right? Mm. Most most men aren't, aren't able to do it, but you get it from experience. You don't get it. You can't be taught it. You can't go to school and learn it. You have to learn it out, out there. And so for me, I I didn't know anything before this happened. I, I, I was never challenged or tested until this. Happened. I didn't know anything about courage or strength or power. I, you know, I had money and I made money and I was free and I... I lived an easy life, but, it, but I didn't start learning anything in life. I didn't start learning any wisdom until this came up, until I started getting tested, right? Trials and adversity, don't look at them as, as though they're terrible, awful of things. Look at them as an opportunity to learn and to actually become something because those trials and adversity, those are where you're going to teach the, the, the seeds of wisdom derive from trials and adversity. That's where they come from. You want to get wise? Go and live it in your life. That's what mm-hmm. that's what Socrates was was referring to when he talked about phronesis, right? The, the the things that I say I'm able to say them because I've experienced it because I've been there I've lived it I, I know what 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 they're going through and I'm now able to express it in such a way that people can understand it. And that's phronesis. That's practical wisdom. That's the that's the the virtue that, that Socrates and Plato was referring to when when uh, when they said that it cannot be
0: taught it must be learned from experience. That's exactly and and, and that's it. It's in it a nutshell. So. Beautiful, beautiful discussion, man. Um, Amendment 5, you know, the Constitution. Our next episode will be Barron versus Baltimore. So I'm going to actually uh, spend some time in reading that because I've, I don't know anything about that other than what you've mentioned several times. So I definitely want to come into this conversation prepared and armed. So I'm, I'm going to take some time into reading that and get ready for that discussion. But uh Tana, well, thank you again first I, I really appreciate the time that you're, you're, you're investing in one, just, just trying to bring awareness to our American citizens for two, that you've chosen my platform to do this with. And three, for for teaching me, because I've learned an exp you know, an exponential amount of, of information from, from you. And it's, it's making me see things a lot more clear. So, yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate because what, what I want the listener to understand and appreciate is the trials and tribulations that you yourself have gone through to learn what it is that you've learned, you know, and, and you're sharing that with us free of charge just because you care about us. So that is the appreciation that, that I, I um, I'm, I'm um, awarded. Well, I, I,
1: I thank you for that. I, I really appreciate it. You know, for me, this has been a, it hasn't been easy, but uh, but I see the blessing in, in everything that, that that's happened to me. You know, I mean, as bad as it is, the taking of the children, you know, they're going to be proud of me because of the things that I've done, and I, I know that, you know, and I can accept that. But you know, I didn't come to you, God. God chose you. This is this is the platform that, that He wanted me to use, and you know, and there's there's specific things that He has me, and I can see it every day. And when we look at like like what's going on across the country and the things that are being said, you we go to TikTok. And like I I posted a video this morning, that video, you should watch that because every single thing that I'm talking about, the jurisdictional issues, everything, it is all covered within that video. It is absolutely amazing. And they go, they go into statutes and point to it. You know, the thing is, is, you know, once you know what God is doing and and you know that God's real, you will see him in every single thing. You'll see him all over. And, And once you see him and you know what he's doing, you see everything starting to work together. I mean, I'm in prison, I'm fighting and I'm building a case. For the ending of slavery at the same time that the thir- the movie the 13th was being produced and, and manufactured and it came out at the same time i mean all these things happening in conjunction with one another didn't happen arbitrarily it, it, you know people weren't working on things at the same time that i'm working on a case so that all these things can come together at the same time and this issue can get resolved that doesn't happen unless there's something right
0: and i want to say this knowledge in self and knowledge in god not only helps you acknowledge and see god in everything but it also helps you acknowledge acknowledge and see the devil in everything as well because you know who god is and therefore you know when the devil is in front of you
1: and that that's a great point And, and that's that's something i i've said many many times and maybe i haven't clarified it but if you read the bible right and you look at the attributes of god god's love that's all he is so so if you love you you know god right but the thing is 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 we know the attributes of God. He says, release the prisoners. He doesn't want prisoners. He says, your sins are forgiven, right? You don't need to be reminded of them, right? He says that he doesn't want you in a dark cell. Bring him out. He says, lighten the yoke of those who, who, who who work for you, right? He's saying those things. Those are attributes of God, okay? So if those are attributes of God, Satan is going to be the opposite, right? So when I say to the court, I say, I know what side I'm on because those are the attributes that I'm standing for. Those are the things that I'm demanding that we do as a nation. Those things that that the Bible says that God would want done. I'm saying release the prisoners. I'm saying that I know what side I'm on. So if I fight for God and the courts do the exact opposite because they say lock the people up. They say you're a sinner, you're a felon, and we're going to remind you that you're a felon for the rest of your life. They say put them into a dark cell. They say they they, they send them to the hole because they missed the daily quota. They say they're our property. We're enslaving them. Who do they work for? If I work for God and I'm fighting for him and they fight against me, who is it that they're working for? Once you know the attributes of God, you can see who's working for, uh, working uh, against you because those are the ones that are going to argue with you.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: they're, they're, they're not what we think that they are, everybody. They're not what you think that they are because the temple has been built upside down. And, And
0: the thing of it is, is it's so blatantly in your face now. Now it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like they've been preparing for this. Right. They've been they've been establishing all the moves and now it's like they're just making their move now. You know what I mean? Because it's so blatant in your face. I mean, we have a president that that is trying to nominate a a, a Supreme Court nominee that when questioned about the Constitution, couldn't even answer the questions. You know what I mean? So it's 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 and this is a Supreme Court nominee. Like, how scary is that? Yeah. I that mean, makes you almost question how, how much do the other ones really know the constitution. So
1: when 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 the judiciary is 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 held unaccountable, right? This is a big issue that, that, that exists with the judiciary, is that is that our Republican form of government is that the the, the lawmakers or the, the politicians are are subject to the people. So when you make the judges outside of the, the control of the people, they can do whatever they want, right? So when you say that the that I can't hold them accountable for their actions against me. I can't uh, hold them, you know, uh, civilly liable or criminally liable. If I can't do that because they're, they're outside of that, then we don't have a system of government where, where the, where the politicians or the leaders are subject to the people. You know, we're, we can't have that. We can't have them be outside of the confines of, 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 of um, being subject to the people are being, being responsible to them, which is what we have today. So then you have, you know the president is going to put into place whoever he wants to advance his his own political interests and that person is going to be out of touch that's not going to be subject to the people of the United States for whatever rulings or decisions they put into place and if they make decisions that are contrary to the will of the people the thing is is that those people are meant to advance the will of the people not their own issues not their own but the will of the people they're they're there to to do that and so if they are, if you look at it from a religious perspective, they would be the, the the priests, you know, the the ones that would be that would be teaching the religious practices of 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 the of the people of the of the congregation. So if the people themselves have got a desire for you know, say um, uh, pro life, right? They want to maintain life. That would be the the desire of the people. But then you have the the religious scholars or the priests that are saying we're going to do something different and teaching them something contrary to the faith. And so you know that's 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 what's happening is that is that the goodness of the people or, the, um, or the, consistent, um, the the actions consistent with the morals must be driven by, by, the, by the, the, the court, by the justices. And so when they're making their own morals or their own customs that are contrary to people, then they're leading the people in the wrong direction. So if you have criminals that lead the country, then the country is going to be led into criminality. And every single one of these judges are all criminals because every single one of them are not abiding by the Constitution of the United States, which is a crime. It's a crime of perjury, right? And so we have the leadership of our country, every single one of them being criminal, and we now have our country go- going into criminality. So before we can hold the people accountable for their crimes, we must first get our leadership in, in, in compliance with the law. And that means that they must be subject to the people.
0: So. Um, and and this, is why, this is why Free Me Podcast is in existence. To, to try to bring awareness and unity to our communities you know we have to stop attacking each other we have to we have to stop calling the police on each other and in my opinion we have to stop fueling this system by sending our children into this corrupt system thinking that they're going off to be heroes and and do heroic things and and um and we have to stop voting period until we know that our vote counts until we know that that corruption is out of our government, we have to stop fueling it. We have to come together and unite. These are right. just some of my solutions.
1: And so the, the whole class-based system, the whole, the whole business issue, that, that's what we gotta get away from everybody. Government is not a business. Our, our, our system is not a business. It was created to be that way because they had slaves and they had property and property is of course an asset. And so we built a, a system of government that's based upon a business model. And we have a business model. The government wants to make more business, and the business that they're in is enslaving the people. It's is incriminating them. So we got to get away from this whole business. This whole business thought. You know, the, the riches that we have doesn't come from the things that we have, but rather from the things that we do. And we need to be doing things now. So you know, when 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 he said that that I'm offering what I know for free, I have to. What God gives freely to me, I need to give freely to everyone else. It doesn't come at a cost. Because it wasn't given given to me at a cost. So we all need to be recognizing what what, what empowers us, what we what we have an advantage in, our knowledge that's unique to our individuality. And we need to be offering that for free to everybody around us because with knowledge comes, comes power, right? Exactly. If I'm able to speak to everybody here and I'm able to pass on to you the knowledge that I have of the constitution because of the of the blessings that God gave to me, then that that raises everybody up. That, that benefits me as much as anyone else. And I can't do that at a, at a price because the people that I'm giving it to don't have money.
0: That's exactly so. right, partner. And we love you, Tana. We love you for, for, for oh, what guys, you do partner. You. And, and again, we, the people, we, the people power to the people and be honest, tell the truth, stick by what you feel is right. And, and again, from, from free me podcast, the Thomas free me TV and podcast show. I thank you for subscribing and listening and, and sharing awareness for what it is that I do. Um, as, as you heard, you know, uh, at the top of this episode, you know, YouTube again, canceled my, my monetization. So I'm being censored and, and, and I need support from the community. Like you, you have to speak out for Free Me Podcast and, and so that I'm able to bring these episodes from Tana Wall and, and such. So uh, awareness, community unity, power to the people, From Tanawa and I, our next episode will be on Barron versus Baltimore. Tune in. We love you guys. Thank you. Stay blessed. Stay healthy. Stay proud. Stay American. We're out. God bless everybody. Thank you.